So glad that you're here this morning. My name is Matt Porter. I'm the lead pastor here at Outward Church. And uh, this morning, I just wanna make it really simple. Like the resurrection, like Easter, like enables us to have the good life. It enables us to experience uh, the, the actual good life. And so here's the thing, I got three points for you. They're really, really simple, it's live, laugh, love, right? That's, that's all you need. I'm just joking, I'm not being that, that trite. I mean, some of us are, are really tired of those kind of trite state statements, those inspirational quotes, that kind of stuff. Kind of like this guy right so we here. we got the laugh, love, live mirrors here. We got live, love, laugh. We go in the bathroom here. We got live, laugh, love. We come out here to the rug. We got live, laugh, love. We go over here, we got Live, laugh, love. We come over here. We got life, live, love, laugh. Live, laugh, love. Live, laugh, love. Laugh, love, live, laugh, love. Live. We got, we got, we got, we got, we got live, laugh, love. We got laugh, love, live. That's it, man. Yeah, yeah, some of you have taken it a little too far. I just, I just gotta tell you. You know, these, these kinds of statements, they're inspirational quotes. It's kinda like uh, YOLO, you only live once, uh, which in Jesus' case does not count at all. Uh, there's, there's other ones like, if life gives you lemons, make lemonade. Uh, there's, I think uh, Will Smith used this in Hitch. It's not the number of breaths we take, but the number of moments that take our breath away, right? And he did take our breath away, didn't he, right? Uh, yeah, the, the slap heard around the world, that was amazing. Uh, sing like no one's listening. Love like you've never been hurt. Dance like nobody is watching. You are enough. Uh, you are the hero of your own story. Like these are all like inspirational quotes that actually create this pressure on us to say like, I've gotta have this life motto. I've gotta figure out how to live the good life. And I just, if I just live according to this statement, to these statements, then everything will be fine. And like, so if, if someone's like having a, you know, if they're miserable, you say, you know what? You just need to live and laugh and love and then everything will be fine in your life. But the reality is that these statements actually kind of create this rule system. It creates this list of rules. Like I've got I've to live and I've, and, I, and I've really got to live life to the fullest, you know, because YOLO, you only live once and, you know, I've, I've just got to do this and then I've got to laugh. I need joy. Have joy right now. And then I've got to love. I've got to love. Well, what happens if you fail? What happens if you stink at that? What happens if live, laugh, love becomes more like hate, cry, and die? Which, if we're honest, you know, I know, perfect Easter service. Happy Easter. <laughs> I should have tested this on some people ahead of time, but I, I didn't. But uh, no, it's, it's exhausting, I think. I think it's exhausting to have to have this pressure that you're living up to to say like, I have got to figure out life in such a way that I am living, that I am laughing, that I am loving, and then everything is going to be fine with me. But these are inspirational quotes that just are here today and gone tomorrow, and I am so sorry if you have them on your wall. Um, but uh, we'll bring it back around at the end. But today I wanna give you 
uh, a different set of words, which are love, live, and look. Love, live, and look. And these are the three kind of criteria for reaching the good life that we find in Easter. The three criteria. And so the first thing is love. As you look at uh, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The first thing that you've gotta see in that verse, like in this, in this statement, it's, it's, it encapsulates what Christianity is really all about. It, it's, it's, it's in a nutshell, that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's where the good life is found. And it begins with the initiating love of God. Like God initiates it, God starts it. And it doesn't begin with this. You know what, you've gotta live you, you've got to do, you've got to do this thing, and then you'll get the good life. You'll find the secret. You will find the way. It doesn't begin with that. It begins with done. It begins with something that was done to you. It was, it was something that's been done for you. It's something that has been done in the past and in the present. Like, this is God's love, and he initiates it. The second thing about love is this. Who exactly does he love? He loves the world. For God so loved the world. Like this is what a life that is going to experience the good life, eternal life, that will experience the good life here and now, even in the midst of hate, cry, and die. This is what it begins with. It begins with the reality that God loves the world. God loves the world, what does that mean? It means that he doesn't just love believers. He doesn't just love white middle class evangelical Republicans. He loves unbelievers. He loves everyone. He loves all races, all socioeconomic backgrounds, all lifestyles all stations and ages. He loves people that disagree with his particular system of belief. He loves people who are vaxxed. <laughs> if you can believe, no, I'm kidding that, I'm kidding, I didn't mean that. He loves people who are vaxxed. He loves people who are unvaxxed. He loves people who drive Toyota Priuses, all right? <laughs> Kevin Mangles, Jesus loves you. This I know. I know it's hard to believe even with that car, but he drives a Prius like no one I've ever seen, all right? He's, he's, he's amazing. He loves people who drive an F-350 Super Duty. He loves people who drink LaCroix. He also loves people who drink whiskey, all right? Just saying. He loves people who drive slow in the fast lane or fast in the slow lane or fast in the fast lane, which is my problem. Uh, he loves people that deny his deity, that think he is or is not God. He loves people that like him, but he also loves people that hate him. His love is for everyone, regardless of your love for him. He loves backsliding Christians who've fallen off the wagon. He loves hypocritical Christians. He loves right-wing Christian nationalists and he loves left-wing liberal progressives. He loves undocumented immigrants. 
He loves unborn children. He loves the LGBT community. He loves the transgender community. He loves our school superintendent. Anything else controversial I can bring up? That's my favorite thing to do, by the way. I love it. He loves the governor. There you go. There you go. There you go. He loves Trump. How does he love us? If he loves the world, how does he love us? He loves us with a costly love that he gave. It cost him something immensely, immeasurably expensive. Regardless of what an appraiser says, the value of an asset is the price someone's willing to pay for it. God was willing to give up his most prized possession for you, which makes you priceless. That's, God, that's the expression of God's love for you, is what he's willing to give up for you. God's love is for you in ways that you cannot possibly imagine. He loves you no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter why you're here, no matter why you're not here, whatever it is, God loves you so much that he was willing to give up everything for you. But it's not just kind of this ethereal, kind of sentimental feeling. It's, it's not just kind of out there. It is more than a feeling, as Boston said, right? Don't think about that song. Don't think about it. When I hear that. All right, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's more than just sentimentality. It is that there was a, there was a man who was born... And he lived, historically it's true, this man, Jesus, lived in first century Jerusalem, and he was there, and he was a person, and you could have reached out and touched him, you could have talked with him, you could have hugged him, you could have spit on him, you could have crucified him, whatever it is, he was there, he was a person, and God says this. He says, like, when, when you look back in history, like, I gave you something real and tangible, it happened historically. God is saying, that historic event that happened, happened for you. His love for you is priceless. And he says, the good life only comes through knowing this first thing, and that is that he loves you. It is not about what you do. It is not about how much you love him. It begins with God's deep, immeasurable love for you. Number two, live. I said love, live, look, right? Number two is, is live. Why do we need this good life? Why do we need this? Look at verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Huh, what's that? He didn't come to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. What do I need to be saved from? Whoever believes in him is not condemned. 
But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. That kind of seems like a little bit of bad news. See, Jesus is the bearer of bad news. He's pointing out the obvious. I'm not doing it. These are Jesus' words. That's what he's saying. They're at least John's words saying that attributing them uh, to Jesus. Because here's the deal. Like I said before, if we're real honest about whether we live out, live, laugh, love, the truth is it feels like hate, cry, and die a lot of times. If we're real honest, that's a broken marriage, that's broken relationships, that's war, that's, that's infighting, that's political discord. It's all of those things. It's all of that stuff. And what, and what, what's happening here? See, we, what we find out is that we're broken already. That's, that's, that voice is just point, that verse is just pointing out the obvious. It's saying, you're broken already and you know it. You're already broken. You're, you're a broken person. That's why you get so defensive. You say, I'm not getting defensive. You're the one that's getting defensive. Like, I'm, I'm not, who are you to call me? You're, you might be getting defensive. That might be the definition of defensiveness, right? It's why you have to work so hard. It's that inner voice that drives you to work to overcome that sense of worthlessness, to overcome that sense of self-condemnation. I feel it. Like, I, I will matter. I will, I will be something if I work just a little bit harder, just a few more hours if I, if, I just, if I just work really hard at this, whatever it is, then everything will be just fine. And so I find myself always working. What about you? That's why we never have enough money, sex, or power. And it's because of this. I believe that I'll be able to create the good life if I just live, laugh, and love enough. If I just get a little bit more, just a little bit more, just a little bit more, and all it's really pointing out is this. I'm condemned already. I'm, I'm, I'm after something and I can't seem to find it and it only seems to get worse sometimes. It only seems to get worse. I've lived, laughed, and loved to the fullest and yet I'm still experiencing hate, cry, and die. And it feels like it might be a death sentence and what John is pointing out here is that here's the thing. We're already condemned. It's not that Jesus is coming and saying, if you don't believe, you will not. No, it is Jesus saying, I'm here to save you from all of the self-effort, all of the, the trying, all of the, the self-saving measures that you've tried, all the YOLOs and dancing like no one's watching, and all of the, the, the forced laughing and the, the efforts to try to find the good life, it's all just leading to show us something, and that is that we cannot live and cannot laugh and cannot love enough. We can't live without the love of God, first and foremost. We need it to overcome this condemnation. So number three says, look, how do we get this good life? How do we get the good life? 
And he tells this weird story. Look at verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so, and, and then it goes on to John 3, 16. So what, why does he tell that little story right there? What is that story about? Well, in the book of Numbers, you would see that what happened was that there were some snakes that came, and they were biting the children of, of Israel, God's people. They're biting people, and people are dying right and left. And so it says this in Numbers chapter 21, verse 9, that God had told him to make this bronze serpent. I don't know if you've seen on the uh, ambulances, you see the pole with the, the snake around it. That, this is where that comes from, I believe at least. And so it says this, so Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. So Jesus is saying this, he's saying, just like Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man may be lifted up. So the Son of Man be lifted up. So just like this, that has to happen. That has to take place. So this is like that. So what does he mean there? What, what does it take to get the good life? Is it, is it essentially like, okay, you've got to just plaster these statements on your wall. And you just look at that and you say, you know what, I'm really, I'm really gonna live today. And, and then I'm gonna experience the good life. I just, I just need to live life. I just need to forget about death and dying and all of these problems. No, no, and then I'm, today, I'm gonna be joyful. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna start thinking about lots of joyful things. I'm gonna think about this, I'm gonna think about that. I'm gonna be joyful. I am going to love people, I'm gonna love them. Here's the problem, is you can't give love until you really receive love. Have you ever seen that in kids? You see a kid that acts out, is not very loving to people, and you kinda go, I mean, it happens naturally, but then you, you just see something almost sadistic, <laughs> I'm kidding, in uh, <laughs> a child, I love my children. Uh, no, uh, you see something in a child and you go, where did they learn that? Where did they, where did they learn that? Sometimes I hear my, my kids repeat the things that I say or act the way that I act, and I have to go, that was, that was something unloving that dad said one time. Kids give love based on the love that they got. We are children of God. And so when we receive the love of God, we're able to pass it on. But how do we receive it? That's the question. How can you receive the love of God? Jesus says this is like that. This weird story about this serpent being, this bronze serpent being wrapped around this pole and then Moses was supposed to go stand this pole up. And he's just standing there with, with a pole. And the word was this. So that anyone that looks at the bronze certain serpent would live. So what does Jesus want from you? Does Jesus want a statement plastered on your wall 
that says, you gotta do this. No, what Jesus wants for you is this. He wants you to see that just like then, you have a snake bite. It is a level of condemnation that persists. It happened as you were born. The moment you were born, you were already condemned. You didn't have to do anything wrong. You were already condemned. You already had the snake bite. But how do you receive it? Well, it's look and live. It's to see Jesus as the one who is raised up. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. So Jesus has to be lifted up. He has to be stood up. But more than that, the reason why that's meaningful is that he wasn't just lifted up on the cross. He is lifted up out of the grave. And then the third thing is he's lifted up in his ascension to heaven. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father as King Jesus. So the Son of Man must be lifted up, but that also means this. Jesus says, you must look at me with the same eyes that say, I'm aware of the snake bite that I have received. There must be an awareness of that, an, an understanding of the reality of like, I, I see that all of these statements are leading me nowhere. It's just leading me towards not loving, towards not living, towards not laughing, no joy, so you can't come to Jesus without first experiencing the reality of I've made a mess of my life. Or I see that I can make a mess of my life. And Jesus says, you've got to look at the cross. And he says that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. See, eternal life is this. Eternal life is the good life. Do you know why we come up with these statements? Because we're saying, I, if, if I could experience the good life, in other words, if I could have eternal life, never-ending joy, never-ending love, never-ending experience with God, then, then that is what I want. And Jesus offers that. He just calls it something different. He calls it eternal life and he offers it to you today through his crucifixion his resurrection and his ascension and he says i want you to look and live now what does it mean to look and live at him it's to look at him and, and see that on that cross he took every bit of 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 my sin. He took every bit of my condemnation. So you're going through life and you're like, man, I feel like I'm not enough. I feel like I'm, I just keep failing in life. I keep failing at all of these things. I'm kind of dropping the ball in this area. I'm dropping the ball in that area. And Jesus says, you never had to do anything for me to love you. You never had to make anything, to, to fix anything in your life. You never had to do anything like that. I love you 
with an everlasting, initiating, costly, priceless love even before you even decided to believe in me, even before you, before you even looked at me, before you even looked at me longingly, I loved you and I showed you this through this historic person, Jesus. It is to, to see him and to say, he loves me whether I'm looking at him or not. He loves me whether I'm succeeding in life or whether I'm failing. He loves me whether I'm really living or whether I really feel like I'm dying. He loves me no matter what. And he takes every bit of my condemnation on that cross. But he took it to the grave. He took it to the grave so that you could now begin to live new life. See, here's the thing. When you're invited into a relationship with God, and he has clearly invited you into that through his cross and through this verse, John 3, 16. When you enter into that relationship, something changes. Now you have an everlasting love. You don't just have eternal life, you have everlasting love. You have a love and an experience with your creator that says, ultimately and finally, I matter because he says I matter. Ultimately and finally, I'm, I'm, I am enough, not because I said I'm enough, not because that sign said I'm enough, not because this sign says I'm a hero. He says it because he gave up everything. You're priceless. Now, at the very core of who you are, the resurrected Jesus who's ascended to heaven, who has gone to the cross for you, loves you so much that he gave up everything for you. And that changes your life when you really get it. It changes your life. And now you can love because you are loved. Now instead of being a child that's never experienced love, trying to feel your way through life through blindness, now you experience the love of God on that level, and now you get to share that love with your spouse, with your friends, with your coworkers, with people that disagree with you. Now you're, you're free. See, evangelical Christianity has gotten it so wrong for so long that we've missed something, and what we've missed is this, that the love of God should transform who we are. The love of God should transform. I, I love because I've been loved. I love people that hate me. I love people that love me. I love people who disagree with me. I love people who don't look like me. I love people who, uh, who I think are doing bad things to our country. I love people who I think are doing good things to our country. I love people in every way, in every shape, in every form. God's love is for you, and now you can love other people. Secondly, you can live. Now you can live life to the fullest. And you, can, and you can say, I don't just live once. I will be resurrected. See, when we do baptisms in, in a few moments here, it is a picture of this. I'm dying with Christ and I'm being raised with Christ, meaning I will experience resurrection. You are eternal. You're an eternal being. Do you want eternal life or do you want eternal death? You get to live life 
to the fullest. You get to live without fear. You get to live with, with peace. Not trying to get everything done in this life. And all it takes is a look. Jesus says, look equals believe. It's not, it's not something that it's like, okay, what's a look? Is it like, ah, I really mean it this time, Jesus. I'm looking at you and I'm gonna look real hard. No, it's, it's simply this. It's just, it's, it's a glance. It's a knowing glance. It's a glance that says, Jesus, I, be, I believe that. I believe that. I believe that that pole, that son of God is saving me. I believe that he has saved me. Have you looked at the son of God? Have you looked and believed? Have you experienced that? Because here's the thing. Once you've experienced that, then and only then can you actually live with eternal life, which then brings eternal joy. And no, it's not a, a joy that's like laughing like an idiot. It's a joy that resides in you regardless of circumstances, knowing this is not the end. This pandemic is not the end. This political stuff is not the end. None of this stuff is the end. I get to live with joy because Jesus wins. You can live and you can laugh and then you can truly love because you've been loved. And now you can experience the good life. See, that's what's offered through Christianity. It's not following these political viewpoints. It is following a person Jesus, it is to be a Jesus follower. And so my question to you this morning is, do you feel like a backslidden Christian? Like Easter time is, and we're so glad that you're here, but it's a time that lots of people come back to church. They feel like they should be at church here. And we're so glad that you came. We tried to make a place for you. We're so glad that you're here, but Jesus isn't wanting something from, he wants you to experience him. Do you want to be a Jesus follower? Just look. Just look at him. Just, just look at him. And the reason why we come to church on a regular basis is to be reminded of that look. Just look at him. Look at the son. Look at how priceless he is. And you'll see how much God loves you no matter where you are today. In just a few moments, we're gonna be baptizing some folks. Um, and uh, my youngest daughter is getting baptized, so I'm super excited about that. So I just wanna invite you as we uh, go to, to baptism, to, just to hoot and holler, clap, yell, whatever it is um, as, we, as we do this. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this message of hope that is not dependent upon us, but is only dependent upon you, of your initiating love. So Lord, may we look to you and believe that you have taken all of our condemnation on the cross so that we can live. Lord Jesus, we 
We thank you for this reality. Lord, I wanna pray for those that are here this morning that have never given their life to you. They've never looked to you as savior. They've never trusted in you. Lord, I pray that they would begin a relationship with you today to stop the trying, to stop the life mottos, to, to stop this trite stuff and to go with the truth that you have loved so that we can live just by looking to you. It's in your name we pray, amen.